This episode is sponsored and produced by Focus on Women magazine with executive manager and host Susanna Park. So we have Dr. Sierra Madad, who is a public health leader and epidemiologist in infectious disease and special pathogen preparedness and response. So to start us off, I want to talk about the docu-series on Netflix that you participated in. So how did you manage to take one of the lead roles of the Netflix docu-series called Pandemic, How to Prevent an Outbreak? That's a great question. So I think first starting off, um, you know, being in that docu-series, um, I was approached and asked by the executive producers if I was interested. I didn't know any of them. I didn't know anyone else that they were following as well. So, um, you know, they had approached me asking if they're able to follow me and what I do every single day at work. So I didn't have to change who I was or what I was doing. It was just, you know, somebody there with a camera, and a small crew just, you know, the, you know, just basically filming what I do every single day. I had no idea who else was part of the docu-series. I didn't even know it was going to be six parts or if I was going to be in it for five minutes or an hour. Um, so it was just a lot of just overall filming over the, uh, you know, the year of 20, um, you know, 2019. So this was filmed obviously before the pandemic. And it was showing how people like myself and many others uh, in the field of pandemic preparedness, in the field of outbreak science, and what we do to prepare for, respond to, and recover from these um, events, and what we do day in day out. So it's certainly it was a, certainly a, a privilege to be part of that docu series. Wow. So, um, kind of a general question: what prepare what what propelled you to pursue epidemiology? Was there like an epiphany that led you towards this life path? Yeah, there's actually a couple. So I think I, 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 what people usually find interesting is because I started a Netflix docu-series, my inspiration actually first came from Hollywood itself. So um, in 1995, the movie Outbreak uh, was released, and it was based on um, one of my favorite books. It's called um, The Hot Zone by Richard Preston, and it starred, um, you know, Destin Hoffman and Renee Russo and Morgan Freeman, um, some of my favorite actors, if you will. And that movie basically, um, you know, detected uh, an Ebola virus disease outbreak or viral hemorrhagic fever. Um, it was also set in California, and it really just showed the devastating impact of infectious disease and how healthcare workers and public health responders had to suit up in these bubble suits, go in and figure out what's happening, help people. And I was just, you know, nine, ten years old, for example, when that movie came out, and I remember watching it and just thinking, wow, I mean, that's amazing. And looking at people in bubble suits and helping, you know, individuals uh, that are sick, that's that's what really sparked my interest. And then also in that movie, you know, it talks about the United States Army's Medical Research Institute for Infectious Diseases called USAMRIT um, and the work that happens there. And as I progressed and, and got older um, in high school, um, my... Um, my science teacher gave me a book, The Hot Zone, which this movie was based out of, and that's when I started reading the book and was even much more interested in it. Uh, took all the science courses. In college, I ended up actually going to USAMRIT, uh, took a tour there. They have a biocontainment unit, it was called the Slammer. It's decommissioned now, but it was one of the first um, biocontainment units in the United States. Um, and that's, again, where I was like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to not only work in infectious disease, I want to work in highly infectious diseases, 
or special pathogens, as we say it today. And these are uh, highly infectious diseases that, you know, have the ability to cause significant morbidity and mortality, person-to-person transmission. You may not have a vaccine or therapeutic for it. You may need a biocontainment unit, which are these specialized kind of facilities, if you will, to care for these individuals. Um, And it may cause a lot of public fear and anxiety. And so it's a small field. There's few of us, and so a lot of us know who, who's in it, and, and we've known each other for a few years, but we definitely need more people in it, because um, if anything, living through this pandemic that has affected every single person in this world, we realize that infectious diseases are these tiny little things that you can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste, but it can cause havoc on humanity and really bring us to our knees. So we need more people from diverse uh, you know, disciplines to be part of outbreak science. So in your docu-series, was collaborating with other leaders helpful? Who were they and how did they assist you throughout the docu-series? So, uh, you know, in the, in the docu-series, uh, as I mentioned, I didn't know anybody in it um, per se, particularly, you know, those that were kind of in, in the international lens. But there are people within the docu-series um, and even now that I continue to, to work with um, and that we know each other. And I think just talking generally um, about this particular field, this is not a one-woman show. It's not a one-person team or a, a five-person team. It takes a village. There's um, a lot of people involved in responding to infectious disease outbreaks. And certainly if it's a pandemic, then it's all hands on deck. Um, and so I certainly have significant respect for many of my colleagues that you know, our boots on the ground that continue to do the hard work. There's so many people that talk the talk, but there's very few people that walk the walk. And being one of the people that, you know, our boots on the ground that have been responding to multiple different infectious disease outbreaks, it's so much easier said than done. And I'm sure people realize that now in this particular situation that we're in. Um, but I think that the big thing that people should understand is the front line starts with all of us, right? It's not hospitals. It's it's not, you know, within ICUs. When it gets to the point of requiring hospitalizations, that's when you know the two-year-old has hit the fan. Um, and so you want to make sure we prevent that from happening. And so the front line absolutely starts with each one of us. And so a lot of us also spend a lot of time on science communication and telling the public, what they should and shouldn't be doing, if they need to change any of their behaviors because of risk involved. Um, and so it requires really thoughtful risk communication. And in the docu-series, some of those things came up on the importance of ongoing communication, on the importance of a public health workforce. So tell us about your research in biosecurity and biodefense. Can you define these two areas of study for our listeners? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So biosecurity basically is, uh, you know, an overall kind of theme where we're working to uh, essentially prevent uh, infectious diseases. These could be viruses, bacteria, fungi, toxins, and preventing them from the deliberate or malicious use, um, you know, uh, of biological science, uh, you, know, it, you know, to harm individuals. Um, and so you have safeguards that you're putting into place from a laboratory standpoint, uh, from a medical countermeasure standpoint and the like. And then biodefense is making sure that we're really, um, you know, a, uh, preventing uh, bioterrorism, if you will. And so similarly, you're making sure that you have defense capabilities in the form of medical countermeasures, systems, processes, um, and you also have a good infrastructure to defend uh, for, uh, from biodefense um, uh, and, and bio threats, uh, if you will. And so they go hand in hand. Um, and I think a couple of things probably to, to mention 
is that the overarching theme, and particularly what I have been doing in my career, is bio-preparedness, right, and bio-response. And bio-preparedness means that we are preparing for not just the unintentional infectious disease outbreaks that continue to happen all around the world, but also the intentional or the deliberate use of these infectious diseases to cause harm or influence government or policy and things like that. And unfortunately, we live in a world where you have both of those, right? You have in a natural environment, Mother Nature will continue to throw us curveballs and COVID-19 is just one of many that she has thrown at us um, over the past, you know, since humans have walked the earth um, and it certainly will not be the last. But you also have individuals that have malicious intent, um, you know, that want to intentionally harm people, unfortunately. And so we certainly need to prepare for that and respond accordingly, just like we do with conventional warfare. Uh, when we talk about bombs and nuclear threats, I mean, infectious diseases are right up there. Yes. So you worked with Dr. Anthony Fauci before. What was it like working with him? Is he like a mentor to you? So I've never worked with uh, Dr. Fauci I, uh, directly in that sense. We, mm-hmm. Me and him, I think, have uh, collaborated in bigger kind of programs, uh, generally speaking. So, for example, in one of the documentaries that I was in uh, with the Discovery Channel, the vaccine conquering COVID that we can um, talk a little bit more about, um, he was in it. But also, you know, being in the field of infectious diseases, you know, we hear a lot of the research, we see uh, what others are doing. Um, me and him also were quoted in the Wall Street Journal back in 2019 as we were talking about pandemic preparedness. So we haven't uh, worked directly with one another um, in that sense, but certainly there are many shared collaborations that happen in the field of infectious disease that many of us are involved in. Mm-hmm. So can you describe the test, trace, and take care program? And is this program transferable to other states? Why or why not? So the, the New York City test and trace program is, is something that is overseen by New York City Health and Hospitals, which is the nation's largest uh, municipal health care delivery system. And it's a public health initiative in collaboration with local public health partners uh, to fight the threat of COVID-19. And it's a group that um, is made up of a workforce, which I'm also part of, And it's three pillars, if you will. It's the testing, it's the tracing, and it's the take care. So when you look at COVID-19, in order for us to know and respond to it appropriately, this is how we box in the virus. And what that means is that we need to test people. We need to see who has it and where this virus is moving and be able to follow it. So it's offering testing to people. And then those that are testing positive, you want to go ahead and isolate them. And so to isolate them, you want to contact them to let them know that they're positive. You want to do contact tracing, which includes following up on them and those that they may have um, uh, expo- other, you know, expose themselves to or those that have been exposed to this particular person and, they, and, and to ensure that they can also quarantine. And then on top of that, what is very unique about New York State Test and Trace is the take care pillar. Um, this is another uh, an aspect that um, I provided some uh, help and guidance on. And the take care is, as you know, in this pandemic, not everybody has a luxury to isolate and quarantine at home because people have to put, uh, you know, food on the table, they need to pay uh, for rent or for mortgage, and they may not have um, financial support. So they, they don't have the luxury of taking off 10 days or 14 days, if you will. So the take care pillar is isolation and quarantine hotels, providing them that free service uh, and with wraparound services so they can safely isolate in a hotel from their family and friends, they don't get infected, providing them with food and other financial support in the form of wraparound services. And so across the nation and across the world, Contact tracing is the key pillar 
in being able to, uh, you know, decrease the number of cases and implement what we call case-based uh, interventions, which is test, isolate, trace, and quarantine, and provide those support services. So it's not, when we say it's a transferable, each jurisdiction should have their own contact tracing workforce um, and their own plan. And New York City certainly is one of the champions in having this amazing uh, program. I, uh, in particular, am part of uh, Test and Trace as the health and safety lead of the Enhanced Investigations Unit, um, you know, for uh, the, the Test and Trace program. So it's, it's, a, it's been an amazing effort from the beginning. So many people involved, um, you know, making an effort and really trying to protect the lives of not just New Yorkers, but Americans and our global citizens around the world. So going back to the documentary you mentioned, tell us about your role in the 2021 Discovery documentary that is called The Vaccine Conquering COVID. So uh, similarly, you know, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be part of this this documentary, especially along with so many esteemed scientists and researchers that I'm highly, I highly respect, like Dr. Anthony Fauci, like uh, Dr. Francis Collin and many other scientists. And so the, the documentary essentially uh, was talking about the global fight um, and the global research and development um, of making COVID-19 vaccines and what it took to create a vaccine in record time uh, to to essentially get this pandemic um, you know, under control. And so in this documentary, you see the scientists and you see the researchers and you also see the volunteers that, uh, may, that enabled us to have these three safe and effective vaccines that we have here today in the United States that are FDA um, authorized. You know, and during that time when these vaccines were being developed, the three that we currently have, it's following the Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech um, and the J&J vaccines and the companies and the researchers behind it, what their mission is, um, how they developed it. And as I mentioned, um, when we talk about the volunteers, uh, you know, you actually have, um, you know, the volunteers that uh, were part of the clinical trials, why they did it, um, you know, to help humanity. So my role in that, um, as one of the uh, individuals featured uh, with some of these researchers and scientists, is to talk about why there was a need for a vaccine. How, when we were looking at the bottom of a barrel, you know, in February, March, knowing that the only way to get this uh, pandemic, which was, you know, and then we knew it was going to spiral out of control, uh, through a uh, a safe and effective vaccine. And, and as you know, now we have many uh, vaccines made available and we have, you know, many, many more that are still in clinical trial. Um, and, but I think the, the big thing that I'm going to mention, and I shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody because this is all over the media, is now that we have these safe and effective vaccines, it's not only for us in America to ensure that everybody has access and is able to get vaccinated, but also for people around the world, we only have less than uh, 2 billion vaccines that have been administered to, you know, a, a growing uh, global population. So we are nowhere near the end of this pandemic. We cannot conquer COVID unless we are able to provide uh, safe and effective vaccines to every single person uh, around the world. And generally speaking, just in your life, is there any advice you would like to offer us to keep ourselves safe and healthy, both physically and mentally? Absolutely. I think first, as I mentioned, the front line starts with all of us. And so we need to, on our day-to-day -day lives, look and make sure that we are preventing ourselves from getting infected. And it's not, I'm not just talking about COVID-19. I, I'm also, I work in infection prevention and control. And so we often talk about, 
you know, how can I prevent the spread of any infectious diseases, whether it's flu or the viral flood or whatever is happening around us. And so uh, with that notion, it's just making sure that if you are sick, certainly seeking help, making sure that you are preventing the spread of infectious diseases, washing your hands, covering your cough, and that you have access to these healthcare services, looking out for yourself. Oftentimes, the healthiest choice is not the easiest one, right? And so for me, for example, uh, you know, when I need to find a meal in a pinch, a lot of people like to go to McDonald's because that's fast and easy, but that's not a healthy diet, right? And so we need to make sure that when we look at preventing pandemics, right, you have to look at it also from the entire standpoint of how can we make people have healthier choices, live healthier lives, enable them to help uh, live healthier lives. And so I want to just make sure that people understand that they are the front lines. And so this COVID-19 pandemic is going to end like all pandemics end. But as we look at the future, we need to make sure we are making ourselves more resilient, healthier, making healthier choices. And mental health is such a, an important part of it. I think for myself, responding to COVID-19 over the year and a half, a couple of things that I have found solace in, um, you know, has been my pandemic garden, as I like to call it. I started to grow some fruit and vegetables and I like to spend time there um, just to kind of de-stress. I love to spend time in my kitchen cooking. Um, so these are things that make me happy and help me de-stress, but I want to really make sure we emphasize it's not just, you know, the physical um, health, but it's also very much the mental health here. Yes, absolutely. So finally, to close us off, are there any quote-unquote greats that you have on the horizon or in the future regarding your research and building health awareness? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I'll just put a pin in is I actually am um, in the process of writing a book, uh, writing a couple of books. Um, I'm hoping, hopefully, I get to kind of push them out. It's been quite crazy, but the one book that uh, I am looking to to put together and I've kind of started is a children's book. And it's to talk to children about, you know, infectious diseases and what they can do and what happens through the cycle of emergency management. And then similarly, uh, you know, uh, helping to co-author uh, a book uh, with a colleague as we look at the role of women in the pandemic as the unsung heroes. You know, you hear so much about male scientists and researchers and see them uh, in the media. You don't see enough of uh, women scientists and researchers and physicians and Many of us obviously are the backbone of the response. Um, and so we want to highlight the work that women do and elevate them um, and to also inspire a generation of children um, you know, after us to pick up the mantle and continue to uh, do the good work that you know we are leaving uh, behind for them to create a safer world for all of us. So those are some of the things I'm, I'm doing. And then, then the last thing is we're also looking at putting together another, another documentary, uh, but this time looking at um, other individuals that are um, on the front lines. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then um, the last thing that I uh, that I continuously do is I publish a lot of science communication articles, um, not just related to COVID-19, but I have realized, as I've done in many other uh, outbreaks, um, and in particular this one, is that we need to continuously provide the public good science communication, uh, not just with COVID-19, but anything that's happening around us in ways that they can understand and apply it in their daily lives. And so I have started a series um, at the Belfer Center for Science and International Fair, which I will continue to do. And so those are some great things that I hope to continue, uh, you know, uh, to share with you all. Oh, well, I will be looking forward to all of that. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Madad for all the information, insights, and inspirations. And I wish you the best of luck in everything you do and for the rest of your career. Thank you so much. I Thank appreciate it. Thank you so much.